Um, if you're a guest this morning with us, good morning. Welcome to Helsing. Really glad that you're here. Um, gratefully found us in our, in our new home. And uh, yeah, hope that this morning you just feel loved and welcome and get a chance to connect with Jesus right alongside us this morning. Uh, I'm going to share this morning um, a talk that kind of has been stirring or brewing in my heart over the summer. Uh, the staff has been laughing because this summer, because of the transition of different things, I kind of had to give two or three almost like covenant family talks. Usually there's one in the summer that kind of launches us then into fall or something, but uh, because of the transition and the move and all that, this is, they're saying number three. Um, next week we'll start our, our fall series. I'm excited for that. I'm looking forward to that. But yeah, this morning as we kick off um, our time really for the first week in this space, um, yeah, I feel like there's just something that I've been wrestling with, processing, uh, regarding God and His love that, that I just want to share with us this morning. Uh, last week, if you will, if you were here, uh, really was a dedication service. It was a time and space where we prayed and we worshiped, really to dedicate this space and to dedicate ourselves to God in this space. This week, as I've been thinking about it and praying about it and trying to, for myself, just give me some handles as to what... I was doing in my own mind, not to the content, but just like a, that's something to stand on. It was this idea of last week was a dedication, this week is a commission. Last week, again, was dedicating ourselves in this space to God. This week, I feel like God is saying, commission your people. Don't commission yourself and commission my people, the community that I've invited you to lead. Commission them. Call them to partner with me in the work of my love, in the movement of my love in this world. And so here's kind of two realities that have brought me to that place that I've been really wrestling with this summer. Uh, two realities are this. The first one is that we're all created for connection and authentic relationship. I mean, in short, I'd say we're all created for love. Um, you could talk to anybody in the social sciences and they would tell you that giving and receiving love is at the heart of being human. That's one of the things that separates us actually from the rest of all of creation, is that ability to give and receive love. That makes us human. The second reality is this. We're all aging. <laughs> what I mean by that, is that we're all moving along a timeline of life 24 hours at a time. And I've this summer been reminded as a second kid, and I kneel down on the floor and play with him, and my knees crack, and my back hurts after wrestling with my two boys. Although I still look 25, I am no longer 25. <laughs> I am aging, moving along this timeline of life 24 hours at a time. My body reminds me of that. I'm aging. Here's the third reality, and kind of here's the connection of, of these two things is that it's not automatic that we age in love. It's not automatic that we age in healthy connection and authentic relationship. It's not automatic that those two realities merge together or conjoin in our lives. In fact, so much of our world and so much of our culture, so much of the things that we see and experience day to day are structured actually to prevent those two things from flowing together so that we age in love. The other key piece of that, too, is that our sin nature, actually, has given us a bent that, again, prevents those two things, love and the aging process, from coming together the way that God has created or intended them to be. And so because so much of our past and our present experience 
keeps us from experiencing sustained, healthy relationships over time. And because of that experience, we can find ourselves stagnant in growth, stagnant in emotional, spiritual, relational development, and yet we're still aging. And so we find what I'm thinking about in this process, we, we can find that we're aging in place. We're aging 24 hours at a time, but mentally, emotionally, physically, maybe spiritually, we're stagnant, we're stuck. But what God's been reminding me of this morning is this, 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 this summer and really this week is just the beauty and the power of the gospel and really what it's all about. See, we can talk about those realities and then there's this phrase that just keeps coming to my mind this summer, but the gospel. But the good news. The good news being that God had loved us in Jesus Christ and he's made a way for us to be restored in relationship with himself. That God has sent his son into this world to show us and reveal to us the depth and the power, the beauty, the unconditional nature of his love so that we grow and we age and we mature, not stagnant, but in the dynamic nature of God's love. And so what I want to talk about this morning is, I'm phrasing it this way, it's living in Christ rather than aging in place. <laughs> living in Christ rather than just aging in place. What I mean by that is this. That 1 John 4, 8 tells us that God is love. It's his nature. It's his character. It's who he is. It's not just an emotion. It's his very essence, his very nature. And God is Christ. Jesus is God. The other thing that we know from Scripture about God's love is that God's love is revealed most perfectly in Jesus Christ. And what we're called to, what we're saved into through that good news of God's love is life in Christ. We're saved out of isolation into life in Christ. And our ongoing process of being transformed and of growing, Scripture calls a life in Christ. God's love also is, is dynamic. It is not static. God's love doesn't stay put within himself, within the Trinity. No, it's moving bouncing around, it's going back and forth, giving and receiving between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God said, no, that's not, that's not good enough. Once I saw my creation broken, I had to send it back out from here too. And so what did God do? He sent his love down into the world. Love moves. Love is dynamic. And when God's love, which is perfect and holy, moves in a dynamic way, what it does is it transforms everything that comes, that comes in contact with. And so that's what I'm talking about when I say living in Christ rather than aging in place. Living in Christ, who is love, and in the movement of his love, rather than staying stagnant or stuck in who we are or think we are, and also who we think others are. Again, last week was a dedication of ourselves. This week I invite you to engage with me what it would look like to be commissioned in the love of God in a new fresh, once again, even regardless of this space just in your own heart, in your own mind, to engage in an invitation from God to be commissioned by Him, to partner with Him in the movement of His love that is dynamic, that is powerful, that is transforming, that is perfect. So the first thing I want to invite you to this morning to think about is to allow God's love to move to you and in you right where you are. I want to read the passage for you in, in the book of Romans. Uh, Paul wrote this to the church and Romans is a phenomenal doctrinal book 
that Paul wrote to the church and to be passed around the churches. And in chapter 8, Paul talks about living life in the Spirit, and he talks about the fact that we're heirs in Christ. And he wraps all of that up in this passage here in chapter 8, verses 31 to 39, that I really believe speaks to this element of God's love being dynamic in this process of living in Christ rather than just, just aging in place, being stagnant in these things. And Paul writes this. Paul says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised and who is now at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Paul writes of a dynamic love there. A love that he himself has experienced moving toward him and moving in him in order to compel him to, to go out and to love others. And what Paul talks about here in this, this love of God is it's not soft nor sentimental, but it's strong in its spirit and life transforming. It's not like our culture defines it as the desire to, to, to own or to place something. That's not lust. No, it's love. It's pure. It's not self-seeking, but it's sacrificial. And it gives first without expecting anything in return. It's not fickle. It's not fleeting. No. It's faithful. It is everlasting. It's selfless. It's an unconditional love that desires the greatest good for others. It's a love that moves. It's a love that's dynamic. It's a love that transforms. It's the love that God has loved you and I with, though we don't deserve it. And it's the love that He invites us into to live in, in Christ, so that we actually live life dynamically in Christ instead of just aging in place. Aging, stagnant, spiritually, emotionally, relationally. Here's a couple of things I think that this, just to speak really practically about, about this passage on, on the love of God and the nature of it, um, what would we do this? And this is something, honestly, I've been wrestling with this, this summer. And that I, I just, there's a phrase here where Paul writes and he says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how would he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect, against those whom God has saved with his love? It's God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? One of the things that I've been wrestling with this, this, this summer, and my scripture reference would help me just to embrace and engage more, and, and I know as a reality as I have conversations with you guys is this. What Paul speaks of here is a love that is not dependent at all in any way, shape, or form upon your or my performance. And if you and I want to engage and embrace the commission that God has given us to receive his love and then to be conduits of 
and people whose his love can flow through. The first thing you and I actually have to understand and remember is that God's love for you is not dependent upon your behavior. When Paul writes there and says, if God is for us and, and, and he's the one that justifies, who is it to condemn? I think for a lot of us, actually, it's not even the condemnation of others around us, but it's our own condemnation often that we first have to get out of the way of and realize it's not part of God's love for us. God's love for you is not based upon or conditional upon your behavior. God's views about you, his feelings towards you, what he thinks of you is not the same as what you think about yourself. And your feelings about yourself don't change God's feelings about you. I'll be honest, I don't like myself sometimes. Last night I had one of those moments that I was engaging with my three-year-old son. Bedtime preparation was going great, and then all of a sudden, one little thing just totally derailed it, and I found myself seething, angry, doing everything I could not to let it out, and it slipped. It slipped in such a way I had to go to my son and say, you know, Otis, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, can you forget that? I'm not proud of who I was in that moment. I didn't like myself in that moment. And after I put him to bed, or actually my wife put him to bed, I had time, I had to just sit there, Honestly, and let God love me. And believe and remember that the way that I was feeling about myself in that moment is not how God feels about me. I didn't like myself in that moment. But you know what? God loved me perfectly mm. in that moment. God embraced me wholly in that moment. God held me and said to me, Son, I love you. And it's okay. My grace is for this. The cross was for this. The resurrection was for this. So in this moment, come and live in Christ instead of sitting here stagnant and broken by your own feelings and self-condemnation. Because the reality is, it's me, God, who justifies you, no one else. It is me who says, you are loved and you are perfectly whole in my love. And so no one can condemn you, even in this moment. So don't condemn yourself. Because I don't condemn you. I love you. And I had to be reminded of the fact what a small God he would be if his character and his love were dependent upon my behavior. Think about that for a second. The God that we profess to know and to love that Scripture speaks of is a God who is vast, a God who created all things, a God who holds all things in place, a God who is sustaining by the word of his mouth and his love, sustaining all things, transforming all things now presently. And so then to think that my behavior could determine and dictate his view, his character, his nature. It's not coherent. I have to admit that. It's not coherent. There's no integrity in thinking those two things. That God is all-powerful and all-loving and all-knowing and good, ruler, Lord of all things that we just sing about. And yet me and my behavior can dictate or change things. God has loved you. God loves you. God has loved you. He's loved by His Spirit because of the death and resurrection of His Son, which is everlasting love. It is not dependent upon your performance. Ministry. Instead, as Paul writes here, we're more than conquerors. God's extravagant love overcomes and conquers all things. We hold ourselves far too often to performance. God holds us in grace. We hold ourselves far too often in contempt believing that we're lowly and not worthy, God holds us up in gentleness and loving kindness. 
<laughs> we far too often hold our lives in fear, and God releases us by his love into freedom, and into a courage and a faith and ability to live a life free from fear. What Paul writes about here is the fact that there is nothing that can separate you from God's love except to go on to say throughout this book, except you yourself, except your own rejection of God. So the first thing I invite you to this morning is a commission us to be partners with God and work with his love in this world is to allow God's love to move to you and allow God's love to move in you right where you are, right where you find yourself. Nothing can separate you from God's love for you as revealed in Christ except your own rejection. So will you let it move toward you? Will you let it move toward you? David Benner, who's a psychologist and an author, uh, he said, following Jesus is saying yes to God's affirming yes to you. Following Jesus is a response to God's love, and it's a surrender to his love. This is in a book called Surrender to Love, or something. He'd go on later to say anything else, anything other than responding to God's love and, and surrendering to that love, it's actually not a faith nor a spirituality that is centered on grace, but it's a spirituality that's centered on me, my performance. But to truly be a Christ follower, to be a Christian is to say yes to God's affirmation and God's affirming yes to you first. It's to receive his love, the movement of his love first. To allow yourself to live in it, to live in Christ, in love, as opposed to just aging in place. It's good news. It's really good news. Here's the other thing about God's love, and we see this from the very beginning of the story that we believe is true, is that God doesn't turn away from broken humanity and disgust but moves towards us, bringing us his redemptive presence. That's what I experienced last night. That God doesn't turn away from broken humanity and disgust, but he moves towards us, bringing us his redemptive presence. John 3.16 says this. Some of you probably can recite it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but rather in order that the world might be saved through him. God does not turn away from broken humanity and disgust. No. God moves towards us, bringing his redemptive presence. Romans 5, 6-8 says, for while we were still weak, while we were broken, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one might dare to even die. But God shows his love for us, for you, for me, in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In your moments where you can acknowledge your brokenness, your weakness, that you're incomplete, that you're lacking, that you feel like you are failing, Please remember that God doesn't turn away from you in your brokenness with disgust. No, rather, he moves towards you, at least he wants to if you allow him to, in order to bring to you his redemptive presence, in order that his love might embrace you, might surround you, that his dynamic and perfect holistic love might transform you and set you free. 
Jesus is the one whom God has sent in the world to remind us that God invites us over and over and over again to himself in love. And knowing this, knowing that we're deeply loved by God, this is the first step in becoming actual, genuine, great lovers, both of God and of others. And that's, that's the second step of this commission that I'd invite us to this morning. I'd like you to speak over us this morning. Is this. Allow God's love to move you to love others. Allow God's love to move you to love others. John 13, 34 to 35, Jesus speaks to his disciples, and he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. You see what Jesus does there in that, that second statement? By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you, if you love one another. What Jesus just did there was he elevated love as the goal of spiritual transformation. Jesus just elevated love as the fruit of someone who is a true disciple or not. Are we loving? Not just loving ourselves, not just loving God. Are we loving others? Are we loving others the way that God has loved us? See, one of the things, if not the thing, that will allow us to be transformed actually in God's love and to grow and to flourish in Christ instead of just aging in place is to move out and look out beyond ourselves to see others and to love others and to move towards others in love and in service the way that Christ has moved towards us. Because that's what God's love naturally wants to do. That's what it does. It moves. It moves from God, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the perfect being, the trying God, to a broken humanity. And in moving, it transforms it, and transforming it, he moves it. To do what? To be carriers of that same love. Christ said, the mark of our spiritual maturity is whether or not we are loving other people the way that he has loved us. But he tells us in Mark 12, and he speaks of the greatest commandment, which he said was what? You shall love the Lord your God with all of your power, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Notice he says, you need to love your neighbor as yourself. So what is he saying? We have to love ourselves first. In order to do that, as I've just spoken of what we have to do, we actually have to receive first the perfect love of God, realizing it's not based at all on my performance. But it's based upon God, his character, his nature. It's the one who is love. He gets to define what love is in me. But he invites me to receive it over and over and over again. In order that I might be a conduit. As we come to Jesus, we experience his acceptance and his perfect love and his forgiveness that cleanses us from our shame. We realize that he has loved us so that we can love him and others freely. And we realize that he has given us his spirit to give us wisdom and power so that we can serve and build one another up in love. We realize that it's kind of a big joke. When Jesus says, go and love people as I've loved you, it's kind of a big joke. It's, haha, you actually can't do it on your own. But guess what? You're not called to my love will transform you. My spirit within you will move you and encourage and empower you. So again, will you let me love you? The other thing that, that I've processed this summer about God's love that's been really freeing is that the movement of God's love gives us a view of humanity that is dynamic. Not only is God's love itself dynamic, but when I receive God's love and I allow it to move towards me, find me wherever I am, 
and to move in me, and to that move me and compel me towards others. What I find out is that God's God's love gives me a new view of humanity that is dynamic. A view both of myself that's dynamic and a view of others that's, that's dynamic. And here's what I mean by that. Love sees people not just as they are currently, as stagnant or stuck in something, in one place, but it allows them to grow. Even more than that, it encourages them to grow. And even more than that, it supports their growth. Because true love doesn't want to see people age in place. So it doesn't put bars around them, or a label on them, or constrain them to say, you're this type of person, or that type of person. No, the love of God, when you've received it, and you realize that God's love does not constrain you to your past, nor your present failings, but you realize it frees you. What it does, it allows you to look at other people and go, I don't see you just as that way that you hurt me. I don't see you just as who I think you are. No, I see you through the love of God. And because I love you the way that God loves me, I, want you, I see you as different. I see it as, as if there being a possibility for you to change. I see it as a possibility for you to grow. I see it not as a possibility, but a reality in God, in Christ, for you to grow and to move and to be transformed, not just age stagnant in place. God's love gives us a view of humanity that's dynamic. Again, I think culture actually gives us, gives us a view of one another that's pretty stagnant. Stuck in these barriers, stuck in these labels, stuck in these roles, stuck in these situations. And God loves coming and he blows it all apart and says, no, no, no. <clears throat> to view people that way is not love. It's obsession. It's objection. Call it anything you want, but don't call it love, because it's not. Love is dynamic and it sees people not as stuck, but as moving, as growing, as living, as transforming. So here's the, the, the last thing that I've realized about this process is that contempt and authentic intimacy cannot coexist easily. To kind of maybe put it in the same words I've been using, contempt and love cannot coexist easily. They're like oil and water. What I mean by contempt is this, I'll just give you the Webster's definition. Contempt is believing that someone or something is beneath consideration. That, that it's worthless, that it's actually deserving only of scorn. And again, if you or I are honest, um, maybe I'll just be the honest one, there's times I hold myself in contempt. I hold myself as worthy, worthless or below being deserving of God's love. And when I do that, based upon my performance, based upon my feelings, based upon a whole bunch of other things, you know what I do? I actually make it possible so that I can only hold others in contempt as well. I can't love them. Because I've held myself in this constraint, in this position of worthlessness. And so what am I going to do? I'm going to go out there, I'm going to buy, scratch, do whatever I can to make myself feel worthy of something. And it means I'm going to make others feel worthless in the process. Again, it's humanizing them. Not viewing them through the dynamic nature of God's love viewing it through my own condemnation of self. And this will be true in relation to Jesus. This will be true in relation to self. This will be true in relationship to others. That contempt and authentic intimacy, true love, pure love, they can't coexist easily. That oil and the water. And you can try and put it in the bottle and shake it all up and make it be all nice. But over time, the truth will happen. It'll settle. It'll dissipate. It'll, it'll, it'll separate. And you'll realize Again, incoherent, not compatible. 
holding ourselves and others in contempt would prevent us from being the individuals, being the community, and being the family on mission that God has created us to be. So this morning, I invite us to commission us. I ask you, will, will you receive God's love this morning? In Christ. The way that he has revealed it in Christ. Through a death on your behalf. Through a resurrection on your behalf. To set you free. Through a spirit given to dwell, to empower, to move you in life in Christ. As opposed to causing us to remain stagnant. In the places that the world wants to contain us and that we want to contain ourselves. Here's a couple things to think about with regards to the Two. Some of you might be, I don't hold myself in contempt, I don't hold others in contempt. Let me ask you a couple questions. Who are you holding unforgiveness? Maybe again, maybe that's yourself. Because to hold someone in unforgiveness is, guess what, to hold them in contempt. It's to hold them as below being worthy of being forgiven, though you have been fully forgiven Christ. Who do you hold in jealousy? Or in resentment? Because to hold someone in jealousy or in resentment is to say that I look at their life, I look at the way God's love has moved within their life and done stuff for them, but I look at my life and I think God's love hasn't done anything for me. That, that it's equal to that one. And so I view myself as less. Both wise. Untrue. Again, to hold people in contempt is actually to hold them in fear. Who, who are you afraid of letting into your space, letting into this community even? Who do you look at and go, why or how are they here? Because to hold them in fear means you're afraid that your ter- this territory isn't big enough, that God's love isn't big enough for us all. And so i got to protect this space, this missional community, this church. This some- i got to protect it from this group or that group of these people. Because if they come in here, they're going to get to all the love of God and it's, there's going to be none left for me. Or it's to say, I see them, I don't think they're deserving of love. Based upon what? The way you see them performing? Against your standards of performance? To hold selves, to hold Christ, to hold one another in contempt, is incompatible with authentically loving and embracing the Christ has called us to But here's the good news again. Even though we, and even in the moments where we might hold ourselves in contempt and hold others in contempt, you know what? You know how God holds you? In grace. God holds you in love. God holds you and he loves you because he loves you because he loves you because he loves you. Perfectly and wholly and unconditionally and recklessly and in an unending fashion. He loves you faithfully just as you are. And he invites you to come and receive his love and to live in his love, to live in Christ instead of just aging. Two questions just to consider at the end. In what ways are you holding yourself in contempt of God's love? What ways are you holding others in contempt of God's love? Secondly, what would it look like for you to let God's love move to you and in you this week? Even this morning, here in this place as you come to the table and worship, what would it look like? What could it feel like? What could it be like to let God's love come in to your heart, your mind, your feelings, your emotions this morning, and then just to love them? And then third, what would it look like to let God's love move you 
actually love others this week as a response to the way that you have been loved. I invite the worship team to come up and to lead us out in worship. And I'm going to read just one last quote for you. It won't be up there. C.S. Lewis said, Though our feelings come and go, God's love for us is not. And so this morning, again, no matter what you're feeling, that feeling probably is going to come and go at some point. But God's love for you will not come. God's love for you is the one thing the same remains for you in Christ. And so this morning, I invite you to the table. I invite you to take a piece of bread which represents Christ's body broken for you in love. And to dip it in the cup of juice, which represents Christ's blood shed for you in love. And may this table this morning be a reminder for you, for me, of how much God does indeed love you. God loves you. He's loved you perfectly and fully and fully in Christ, and he invites you to come to rest in that love as you come to the table.